Father, we thank you for the examples that you have left for us, that your word guides us in everything that we're supposed to do, whether it's having a life with our families or whether it is having a life inside the church or the life that we lead at work or even in play. We ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts full of your word and we'd meditate on it day and night for your law is perfect and it can actually convert our souls. But, Father, we pray for help because we are broken, we are fallen, and we are sinful, and there's no way to repair our condition. We understand there is a glorious body waiting for us, and we long for that day when we will be clothed anew. But until then, Lord, continue to remind us of our obligations, our duties towards you, and how we're to treat you and operate under your kingdom in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I just said, traditions are not bad unless they supersede Scripture. For the Jews, religious observances on the outward side were always more important than the things on the inward side. If you remember in the Beatitudes, Jesus was going through that in 5, 6, and 7, And he said, you know, if you look at a woman and you lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. It's not just simply the outward act. And the Jews had it wrong. They thought it was just simply the outward act. And even in that, they would make excuses. But this idea of changing the outside, the behavior on the outside, makes us righteous. Jesus came along and said, no, that is not the case. We're just going to cover again verses 1 through 8. I think we left off in verse 9, somewhere around there. But just to give it context, it says in verse 1, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And if you remember, the Jews had all kinds of dietary laws. And through this, Jesus is saying, really, that shrimp and lobster are fine. If you want to eat bugs, that's going to be okay. And we know that that was changed in the book of Acts especially in Acts chapter 10 and 11, where Peter is having this vision of this sheet coming down with all kinds of animals and things on it. And God said to him in this vision, take up and eat. And he said, no, Lord, I've never had anything unclean. And God was saying that it's okay to change your diet, even under the Mosaic law, that which was forbidden was now legal, or it was now available for them to freely eat. And so some of the Jews, we know that there were the Judaizers after Jesus had died and resurrected, and Paul argued with them, and the Judaizers said, you know, you have to be circumcised, and you have to observe the festivals, and all of these things, and also believe in Christ, and 
Paul went to the mattresses, so to speak, against this idea that you have to follow these outward observances and these special days. Colossians tells us that there's not a special day that we're supposed to worship on. There's not a special diet that we're supposed to keep. There's not a a new moon festival that's supposed to be followed. All of these things, they're passing away because the law has been fulfilled and Jesus is the one that fulfilled it. But yet they maintain these traditions. And I told you last week about the four things that we do as a church or even in life as believers. We follow either scripture, reason, experience, or tradition. And actually we follow all four. It's just which one is at the top? Is our tradition more important than the scripture? Is reason more important than the experience that we've had? We throw out all reason and we don't even pay attention to scripture. And I told you, we follow scripture, reason, and experience and tradition can go back and forth as far as I'm concerned. But tradition over exposition leads to deception, which means if you are following something that's been made up for a long time, and if in fact it violates scripture or it's not commanded in scripture and you hold it higher than scripture, then we, if we do that, are erring. And God says, don't do it. Don't have any tradition above what scripture says and i gave you the example last week of certain dress or music traditions or what's the role of the pastor or days like mother's day and father's day which incidentally they're coming up real soon we may recognize the mothers and the fathers and that's just a custom that's a courtesy that we have it's a great day to honor them then scripture clearly says honor your father and mother and with that is a promise and so that one is scriptural but the day itself is not sacred and holy it's the act in your heart of venerating your parents that's what god is looking for so exposition and by the way exposition is just clarification what does the scripture say about any particular subject or practice And if you look at what the scripture says, it will prevent people from being deceived. So God says, get in the scripture, then you won't make the mistake of those Pharisees and Sadducees who vented their irritation over what Jesus said. Now, they probably didn't vent this irritation to Jesus, but to the disciples. And by the way, when truth comes along, and especially if truth comes along and attacks a tradition that we have, we get offended. Now, we know that Scripture says the gospel is an offense to those who are perishing. If you tell somebody the good news, you have to tell them the bad news. If there is no bad news, what makes the good news good news? The bad news is the entire human race for all time is under a curse that curse can be lifted but if you have you have to choose to have it lifted you have to ask jesus to lift the curse and save you or save me if we do that that salvation comes it's all blessed it's good news but if we don't it is bad news because god says you're going to have an existence apart from god who is all good all loving all powerful all benevolent, all of those things that he is, those who do not choose him will miss out on that and they will be alone and it will be in darkness and there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth and there will be regret and there will be sorrow, all kinds of bad things and it doesn't just end. It lasts forever. They will last forever in that state and that's the bad news. 
The good news is we can be delivered from that. And why? We all know it's because of the original sin. Adam and Eve fell, and that sin was transferred to everyone that came after Adam and Eve. And some people are offended by that. Now, when it comes to bringing an offense, we can do so offensively. We can yell at somebody. We can point our finger in their face. We can tell them what a blow it they are, and they need to repent. And, you know, some pastors, they pound the pulpit. I, I mean, literally, I have seen that, where they pound the pulpit, and they talk about the sinners that are going. And, and the people, you know, I, I don't know how they survive sometimes. I was under that for a little while, and I thought, I don't like this. And the pastor might say, well, that's because you're perishing. You know, and I don't like to. No, I like the good news. I have Jesus Christ in my heart living. The Holy Spirit is there. I love all that. But we can bring some offensive material in a not offensive way, and the people will still be offended. We cannot get past that. And if we're doing it right, they will be offended, even though we can be as nice as possible. And I'm not talking about a disingenuous type of presentation where you go, guess what? You're going to hell. I'm not talking like that. It's where you just, you give the truth the way the truth is presented in Scripture. When we speak the truth, people are offended. Now, if you haven't done that lately, why not? We say to ourselves, and I know why, I don't want to say it because, you know, I don't want to offend somebody. Well, but if you're speaking the truth in love, they're going to be offended anyhow. It's best that we give them the truth in Scripture about sin, salvation, the world to come, the judgment which is there for believers and unbelievers, all of those things. It's our task to communicate that. We are not simply to be those who come to church Worship, fellowship, donuts and coffee, and go home. That's not what God had in mind. God had in mind for us to interact with people, to look for the avenues, the openings, to give the gospel, to provide counsel, to describe what is right and wrong. Now, if you do that to somebody who is wise, this is what scripture says about them. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. And so if you bring the good news to somebody, if you bring counsel that is from Scripture, a wise man will receive it, will humbly take it to themselves. And they will say, you know, you're right, I needed that word of encouragement. But the person who is a fool will reject it. It says, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. And by the way, this is Proverbs 9, verses 8 and 9. It also says, teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Proverbs 23, 9 says, do not speak to a fool for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. Now, scorn, it can be laughing in your face, ridicule, that type of thing. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Ray Comfort put out a video, Evolution versus God. And he decided to, I think he went to um, uh, a pier, uh, not Venice Beach, um, I forget which beach it is up north, but it's a real popular pier that is Newport Beach, I think, the Newport Pier. 
and he's out there with his video camera and he has a microphone and he's going back and forth. And in this video, he does that a little bit and he gives the gospel as he's doing that. And, and you can watch the people reason with him for their position of not following God, not believing in him. And then some do that he talks to. But in that, he also went to UCLA, to the campus there, and he talked to a couple of different professors. And it had to do with biology and evolution. And I forget which one was which. I think the woman had to do with biology that he talked to. And she was a professor there at UCLA, and he interviewed her for this video. And he's asking her about, could you give me a change in type of species that we've had in evolution, where a lizard becomes a bird, and right in the middle you have the transitional fossil record that shows that. And he keeps on pressing her on it, and you can tell she's getting uncomfortable, and her neck goes back, and she can't answer him, and you can tell she doesn't have an answer. There is no transitional fossil form that shows us that evolution is true. And he goes to this other guy who is out there, and he gives him the same challenge, and he's just kind of scoffing at what he has to say so ray in his video he gives him the gospel and he does it the way ray comfort does it he said have you ever lied and i think the guy says well yeah i've i've told a lie and he goes have you ever stolen anything and have you ever been a thief that type of thing and the guy said yeah and he goes well have you ever taken God's name in vain and at that point the guy turned around with the answer took God's name in vain right there I think he bleeped it out on the video and you can tell he was just scoffing at what Ray Comfort had to say if you follow what the scripture says that professor that PhD was a fool because he was just going with what he thought was right and he thought he was probably being witty and showing sarcasm towards Ray Comfort and being very erudite and above those small-minded Christians which are out there but the Bible calls him a fool twice in the Bible it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God and so we can determine who a fool is and who a wise person is coming up in the youth I have a list from the book of Proverbs of everything that is talked about being a wise man. Lots of scriptures that talk about being wise and who is a wise person. And then there's lots of scriptures that talk about who is a fool. And I'm going to go through that with the youth. We're going to read each one. And I'm going to tell them, if you're doing this, you're wise. And if you do this over here, you're a fool. And also about scoffers. There's a lot of scriptures about scoffers. We're going to go through that. Who is a scoffer? And it tells us who a scoffer is. And so I I want to make sure that they have it, but I want to make sure you have it as well. Now, as far as an offense being out there, remember Joe Friday? Now, there was a parody that was made of Dragnet. And I, I forget the guy's name who was in it, real popular who is out there but he walks up to the door and he says just the facts ma'am joe friday never said it it was said in the parody just the facts man i'm going to give you some facts and i promise you probably all of you are going to be offended at some point in here so i just want you to take your seatbelt, strap it down and i want you to listen as we go all the way through because these are the things the truth that the word talks about 
that we're supposed to give to others. And we have a tendency to dilute the truth so we don't offend. Now, Jesus did not dilute the truth at all. He went right to these people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, told them they were in error. Also, when it came, and we'll get to there in, in Matthew chapter 22, you know, they tried to challenge him, the Sadducees did, on marriage. Is there marriage in heaven, not in heaven? They gave him a little uh, dilemma there of this woman who married seven different men, all of the same family, which was permitted by the Old Testament statutes, which were there, the, the law. And she didn't have any children, so they said, we're going to trip him up with this. So who she's going to be married to? Who is she going to be married to in heaven? And Jesus says, you err. Because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. There is neither marrying nor given in marriage in heaven. And so he brought it right to them and said, no, you're an heir. And by the way, they were kind of being in his face. They were probably looking very stoic. We have this question for you, you small-minded men. And that's what they were thinking. And God of the universe answers them and says, you heir. You know, if we did it in our vernacular of the day, kind of would have been maybe, you idiots. What what are you thinking? You claim to be a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? And he did that several times. He even tells his disciples, are you so dull? How would you like God of the universe coming up to you saying, you dullard? And that's what he does to his own disciples. But these things that are here that I'm going to go through, and I, I don't know, I have 10 to 15 of them. I'm going to give you these things. And as I do this, I'm not going to water it down. I'm just going to tell you how it is in Scripture. I'm not going to point at all of you and say, you believe this? Well, you're a dullard or you're an idiot. I would never say that. Or you err because you know not the power of God, that type of thing. I'm just going to tell you this is God's will here. And we need to be able to say it freely. Now, when you say it to the people of the world, you're going to have one or two responses. You're going to see either that they're wise and they receive what you have to say, or you're going to find that they're a scoffer or scoffers, and they will attack you. I don't know if you've seen some of these um, little videos about the gender issue. Have you heard the phrase, did you just assume my gender? I don't know if you've seen that little video. And there, there is this young person and starts out saying, uh, some people can't really tell if I'm a boy or a girl. And you're looking in the video at this boy or girl and you really can't tell. You're, you're trying to figure out. And so you look at them and the, the kid just says in the video, did you just assume my gender? I'm like in your face type of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, what purpose is this supposed to serve rather than just offend a whole bunch of people and reinforce that which is ignorance in the lives of many who just haven't acquired wisdom? And so it's things like this that I'm going to give you. Are you guys ready for these? Medical marijuana is not medicinal. Now, you might say, well, where is that in Scripture? Those, those who would take marijuana under the ruse of being medicinal, that, and I told you guys about this book before, Alex Berenson, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Violence, and Mental Illness. 
And he, he is a proponent of legalization after age 25. He is not a believer. And he comes out with all this truth. I've talked to you about this book before. But he says that. Well, what about scripture? Does scripture say anything about recreational drug use? And by the way, those who would push medical marijuana as a reason to make it legal, did you know that that was funded by a man named George Soros to the tune of $500 million? Why would he do that? He's a political activist, which is out there. Well, he has his reasons, and I'm not going to go into those reasons, but it does say that those who practice magic arts will not inherit the kingdom of God. So first, it's a ruse. Medical marijuana is not medicinal. There are other medicines. There's other forms of CBD and THC and all that that do not get you high. But those people just wanted to have the freedom to smoke it, and it was for the degradation of our society that was put out there. And so those who would say, but wait a second, I think it's medicinal. It has worked for me. Well, it may in fact work, but it also causes brain damage, and there's a slew of problems with that. I mean, it just goes on and on. So that's the first one. Medical marijuana is not medicinal. Recreational drug use without repentance leads to damnation. Now, you tell that to somebody who's out there. By the way, you know what they want to make legal now in Colorado? Mushrooms. They want to make mushrooms legal in Colorado, you, if we ever go to Colorado, everybody's just going to be walking around in these days and not be able to communicate whatsoever, at least the younger generation. And by the way, these things cause permanent brain damage that you cannot recover from. And that's where it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 15, that those who practice magic arts or take recreational drugs or take drugs recreationally, it leads to damnation. It leads to separation from God. How about this one? I'll get this one out on the top of the list. Abortion is evil. Second Kings chapter 8, verse 12, Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus chapter 20. It's the taking of a human life. And there's debate when life starts. Some would say life doesn't start until the baby actually takes a breath. Others would say it's not there until the heart starts beating. And I want to tell you what determines human life. It's DNA. It's not the number of limbs you have. I know a guy named Vic Wojcik. He has no arms. He has no legs. He has a head and a torso. And that is it. I've been in a hospital where a person has arms, a head, half a torso, and nothing else. They're still human. And it doesn't matter what state you are in. It doesn't matter if you are conscious. It doesn't matter if you're in a coma. It doesn't matter. That individual is still a human being. And by the way, I found this out, and I didn't know this, but I found out in the first century, there were at least three or four documents that specifically said, do not take a concoction that causes a woman to abort a child. One of them is in the Didica. Now, if you don't know what the Didica is, it's placed, as far as a date is concerned, 50 A.D. 50 A.D. is before the scriptures were completed. And it was like a little handbook given out to anybody who would want to entertain somebody who says they're an apostle. It gives specific direction. It gives specific prohibitions. And they used it in the church before the Bible was complete. And you can get a copy of it. You can look it up online. Anybody can get it at any time. But it does specifically say, 
a woman shall not abort a child. So the first century church did have that as a practice. And there are several places where it's spelled out in the New Testament church. Now, some would say, but it's not in Scripture. No, it didn't have to be in Scripture. It was an obvious thing of taking a life. The Old Testament, the people were condemned by offering their children to the god Molech. Now, with that, there's still grace and forgiveness for those who have participated. But we, even in this church, I would say there's probably somebody that would say, well, there should be some exceptions. Scripture doesn't give an exception. There's only one time that I think an abortion should take place, and it's really not an abortion. It's where a baby is conceived and lodges in the fallopian tube. The baby ends up turning out to be just a mass of cells, and it kills the mother. And so in that particular case, I would say yes. But in the case of incest or rape, and there are women and men who would say, you have to allow that. Well, God's standard is no. Now, if it were me, I used to think this way. Well, there should be some exceptions. But see, my view is not lining up with God's view. And when you speak the truth, it becomes an offense. And if you tell somebody God's truth, they will either scoff at you or they will say, you know, that's probably wise. How about this one? Non-binary gender designation is foolishness. Now, what that means is, how many designations of gender are there? Do you guys know? According to Scripture. According to our society, how many gender designations are there? It's unlimited. You can come up with any gender designation you would like. And if you are identifying as a gender to which you were born, you are called a cisgender, like I'm a cisgender male. You might, if you ladies, would be a cisgender female. But other than that, you may not, according to today's society, confine that gender to just those two. And they will say, well, your uh, sexual organs do not determine gender. And I just heard that recently. I'm going, you're kidding me. And they would say no. Uh, there's a guy named Ben Shapiro who came out and said that, and you know he got threatened uh, with his life or being beat up, and recently his whole family was threatened, and the FBI came in and arrested a guy um, because he was talking about um, some Muslims that were out there. And so, so far, the medical marijuana is not medicinal. Recreational drug use without repentance leads to damnation. Abortion is evil. Non-binary gender designation is foolishness. And by the way, I have scriptures for all of these. I'm not going to go through each scripture. I just want to make sure I don't miss anybody as far as being offended. (laughs) Here's another one. Gay marriage is sinful and not accepted by God and will be judged. Now there's a guy running for president. Buddha judge or whatever his name is. And he's proud of his marriage to his husband. And some in the Christian community have called him out and said, you need to repent of this. And he can't wait to get on Fox and kiss his husband on Fox News. And he's talking about these kinds of things. And, you know, we if we go out there and we tell the gay community, you know, it's not accepted by God and it's going to lead to damnation, what do you think will be the response? It will be hateful. It will be scornful. And, by the way, there is wisdom in withholding your tongue. 
It says, do not rebuke a fool. If somebody is foolish and you know they're foolish, if you tell them this stuff, they will not accept it and they will ridicule you to scorn. But there are always going to be those, especially the young kids. We have to tell them because they are being inundated, they are being inculcated, they are being propagandized to believe there is no gender, marijuana is good, any type of lifestyle you wish to have is okay, even if it's an animal lifestyle, if you want to be a cat or a lizard or whatever it is. And, you know, if if it wasn't so tragic, it would be hilarious. But it is very tragic. By the way, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 talks about that. And if you look at that, you want to make sure that you... And that's just one of the scriptures. It's also in Leviticus. It's elsewhere in scripture. But this idea that you look it up in several different versions, and it will spell it out. It will say it is worthy of damnation. Now, I'm not saying that to try to condemn somebody i would be saying that in order to retrieve them from damnation if they buy into what jesus says and follow his word but many they won't they will hold to their own truth they have created god in their own image they think this is what's acceptable this is what i'm going to follow why because i said so or why because society says so And God says, the foolishness of the world is the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of the world is the foolishness to God, 1 Corinthians. And so we're supposed to make sure our views come in line with what God says. One that's not on my list here is reincarnation. Some people believe that you die, you come back to life, and you get another chance. You get a do-over. You get Groundhog Day, just over and over and over until you get it right. It is not true. That is false. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die and then comes judgment. If you go to a Hindu and say you get no do-overs, and you don't say it, you get no do-overs, something like, well, you're in their face. You say, I want to explain to you what God says in his word, that we don't get a second chance. We don't come back. There's judgment after we die in this life. And we can present offensive material in a non-offensive way. How about this one? Sexual relationship outside of marriage is one of the reasons God's wrath is coming. Those people who would live together, those people who would have fornic- they'd be involved in fornication or any other type of sexual relationship outside the confines of marriage, God says his wrath is coming. If you want to read that, that is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. And that's the first one listed, sexual immorality. If you, say, if you went to any college campus today and you say, I want to help you guys so that you don't suffer damnation and judgment and be forever in hell, I want to let you know that sexual immorality is against God's plan. It's against absolute truth. And so when you give something like that on a college campus, they would probably ridicule you to scorn. There would be some that would receive it, and you know that they would be wise. Well, what about Homelessness. Homelessness is a blight on society and should not be protected as a right. Now, where does it say that in Scripture? Well, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, If a man shall not work, he shall not eat. And if that's the case, and by the way, that was because there were those in the church who were expecting the return of Jesus Christ, and they thought, well, I'm just going to quit my job. And they would go to the church and say, I need some food. And the people in the church would say, okay, let's give you food. Now, let me ask you this. Would you allow a fellow Christian to starve? (laughs) Would you allow him to get thin? 
see, that's what scripture's talking about. It's like, no, there's a standard which is here. And if we just accept this idea that homelessness is okay and how dare you say that, then it's because there's this work ethic that God has set up. And why do we have a job? So that we might share with those who do not have much, but we don't continue to give it to them. That's where the government has taken the welfare system instead of it being inside the church. If it's in the church, the church can hold people accountable and say, you know, you don't get to just freeload. You have to do your part, be a positive member of society. Well, what if somebody is drug addicted and they have some uh, mental issues? Well, let's get them help. But let's not just say, oh, it's okay, and we'll even give you needles for your heroin. These types of things society has bought into, and if we speak them out, it's going to be an offense to those who are out there. But what about your family members? Now, all of us in here probably know somebody who is gay. Have you ever told them it's wrong? Have you ever told them that I want you to be saved, I want to see you in heaven? And if the person says, well, I was born this way, I always tell them, you know what? I was born with the propensity to be an alcoholic. Alcoholism was in my family. I could have easily succumbed to it. I was born with a propensity to be a kleptomaniac. Yes, I have stolen things before. And not just funds from the church. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, okay? I, I have stolen before, but I see that it is just a sin. It is a sin to do that. And I was born with that proclivity. I want to do that which is wrong. I want to take God's name in vain. I want to steal. I want to covet that which my neighbor has. I want to do all those things. Guess what? I was born like that. And God says, you're all born sinners. We are all born sinners. And we can choose not to fulfill that by the power of spirit. Now, are we going to get it perfected in this life? No. And when we fail, a righteous man falls seven times, and seven times he gets back up. And he says, forgive me, Lord. I am so sorry. I just can't get this right. And he goes, I know my grace is sufficient for you. And so that's how we're supposed to present this information. What about capital punishment? In California, they just stopped all capital punishment. Capital punishment should be enforced without delay. A person who is on death row for 20, 30 years, you know, the, the people's hearts, the people go into hiding when justice is delayed and when wicked men rise to a place of authority. And Scripture, both in the book of Genesis, chapter 9, I think it's verse 6, it talks about capital punishment there. And that was before the law. That was Noah. If somebody takes a man's life, a man's life shall be taken. And it also talks about in Romans chapter 13 that the government does not bear the sword in vain. And that's in the age of grace, the dispensation of grace, that we should fear the government because the government has the power to take our life. And that's the only one that can take our lives in this life is a government entity. Hopefully it's a righteous government entity. But we are not allowed to go and take somebody's life just because we want to. It's the government that does that. So capital punishment should be enforced. And if it is, you know, some people say capital punishment does not deter crime. 
I promise you, if you carry it out, that person will never commit another crime. It, it, it never, it, it, it's like um, abstinence should not be taught, it doesn't work. Abstinence works every time it is tried. A pregnancy never results when abstinence is enforced and it is tried or it is practiced. And so, the, see, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. We look at this stuff, it's like the needles thing that I was talking about. Up, up in, I think it's San Francisco, 22,000 needles were recovered from the streets up there. That people would just shoot up and they just throw them on the ground. And, of course, you could get HIV if you get stuck by one of those needles. And just the drug problem is rampant. And the world says, let's just do that. Let's house all the homeless and take care of them. No, that's not the remedy. When we put people in prison, we just take care of them. No, put them in prison like the Bible says and make them pay back that which they have taken from other people plus 20%. Make sure that there is a punishment for the crime. And if there are some that are just too violent, well, that's our society and we have to take care of them. You see, all these things that I've been talking about, this goes completely against the society, yet that's what God's truth says. And I'm not done. God wants boundaries for countries and nations. This is nationalism as opposed to globalism. Now you might say, well, where is that in Scripture? I don't know. No, it's, (laughs) it is in scripture in the book of Revelation chapter 21. It says that the nations will bring of their fruit to God once a year to honor God. God wants the different nations set up. He wants the boundaries. He wants us to be nationalistic under his heading of what right and wrong is. Not what we come up with right and wrong. He likes the distinctions. He's like, he likes that there are Asians in China and the Far East. He likes that. He likes that there are blacks down in Africa. He likes that there are Icelandic white as white people can be up in Iceland. He likes that there are Hispanics down in South America and in the United. He likes that. He wants these different nations. He likes the Ruskies. He set them up to be up in Russia. God is pleased with these nations. But what's the move of today? Let's take out all borders. Let's just make us one people. We are the world. We are the... Oh, that's not what Scripture says. And the way that we are moving as a society, as a world, is towards the wisdom of the world, which is the foolishness of God. How about this one? Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. All other religions are false. You want to go over to Yemen and tell the Muslims that? You will bring an offense and you will be incarcerated, jailed, and possibly killed because of that. But we have the opportunity in this country to tell those who are Muslims, Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He claimed exclusivity. He said there is no one else. He claimed to be God in human form. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. Now, either he is wrong, as C.S. Lewis said, he's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. It's not bragging if you can do it. I mean, that's where he is. He is it. He is the ultimate. He is the great I am. And if you tell somebody of a different religion, 
you need to repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and do so in a non-offensive manner, not berate them saying you're going to hell. They're, they're condemned already. Those who don't know Christ are condemned already. How about this one? If we do not produce fruit as Christians, we are probably not saved. Now, it's getting a little closer to home. It says this in James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and John chapter 15, verse 8. You know, we're supposed to abide in the, abide in the vine. If we do, we will produce fruit. Now, what is that fruit? See, that's the biggest one. Of course, we know in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And that's true. And it, some people say, well, it's love. And all the rest of these are a subset of love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That love, how does love work itself out? Is it just in what you say? Or like if somebody says, oh, no, dogs. I love dogs. Cats, not so much, but I love dogs. Dogs and... Dogs are wonderful. Cats are fine. Little kittens. I love little kittens. Little furry, you know, kind of like rabbits. Little baby rabbits. They're, they're nice. But dogs, I like. And if you had a dog and you said, now, please bear with me here. If you have a little dog and the dog comes up to you, oh, you cute little puppy. And the dog's wagging it. Oh, you're so sweet. And I love you so much. And then you hit it with a stick. Exactly. You'd say, that's not love. Just because you tell the dog you love the dog and you're beating it silly, that's not love. So what is love? The love is, I love you, little puppy, and you give it a little snack and you pet it some more and you make a little home for it and it's all happy and you want to become the person your dog thinks you are. And it's just wonderful to have that kind of relationship because you're doing things for the dog and the dog thinks you're wonderful. That's the same way that love works out for us. What's the greatest act of love that you can do according to the Bible? Die for someone else. Stand in their place. That's what made... And by the way, if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, The Tale of Two Cities, it's about the French Revolution. And that's where this guy steps into place for an aristocrat and goes to the guillotine instead of him. He deceives the jailer and trades places with him and gives his life. If you've heard the phrase... It is a far better thing that I do now than I have ever done. And that's on his way to the guillotine. And he gives his life for somebody else. It's actually an act. You're doing something as an act. And so a Christian will produce love which works itself out in acts. Acts to who? Acts to those people inside the church. Which means we serve each other in different ways. It can be works to those who are outside the church, where you give food, where you give money, where you give raiment, or which is clothing, to somebody who is outside. You actually get involved in doing something. The person that says, nah, I, I just want to listen. Have you ever seen a sheep that's so fat and hasn't been sheared that it falls on its back and it can't get up? Now, I don't know if you know this, but sheep, if they're not sheared, that can happen to them. They fall on their side, and sheep are dumb. Sheep are stupid. They won't call out. 
they'll lay there until they die. And they won't say anything. And they're so fat and happy and so full of wool, they never get sheared, they never get pruned back, they just eat all the time. Another illustration of this, and maybe you remember this one, is the Jordan River. Jordan River goes to the Sea of Galilee. It has an inlet and it has an outlet. Where does it go from there? The Dead Sea. Why is it dead? There's no outlet. There's nowhere for it to go. Lake Tahoe, you go up to Lake Tahoe, all the snow melt goes down to the lake, and it flows out the northern end of the lake. And it's alive. It's wonderful. It's great. Water's pure. But the Dead Sea... It's dead. So if we take God's word inside and we never have an outlet for it, we're walking around with no works. And James says, you say you love God and no works? Let me show you my faith in God by the works that I do. So all of us will have a task of some type. Hopefully it's in keeping with our gift. And we are actually hands-on, which shows our love for others. That's how it works out. Now, when you love little children, is it always peaches and joy? <laughs> it's not. When you, love peach, when you love peaches in the church. When you love people in the church, is it all joy and wonderment and happiness and companionship and fellowship? No, it's not. It is complaining, it is arguing, it is murmuring, it is being upset at the people that are there. Like, what are you doing? What do you mean you're just leaving this? Come on, don't be doing that. And it affects everybody in the church. If you go to Corinthians, in Corinthians it talks about the body, how each part of the body has its own specific purpose. Imagine tying both of your hands behind your back and trying to eat. That's what happens with the body of Christ. If you say, no, I'm not going to use my gift. Whatever my gift is, I'm just going to put it behind. What if I had to go through this message without hands? I had to. It becomes, I can do it. It becomes kind of difficult, right? And so that's what God calls us to do. If we don't have the works, that's where we're supposed to examine ourselves to see if, in fact, we're in the faith. We will be exercising the word love in an action form. To love is a verb. If we cuss or tell off-color jokes, we are sinning, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Again, I'm probably getting close to home. I promise you there's somebody in here in the last week that just decided that four-letter word or taking God's name in vain would be more appropriate than not. In Colossians 3, it says, get rid of all filthy language. Or coarse jesting in the King James also. Telling dirty jokes. Now I want to tell you. There are some dirty jokes that are funny. And I'm not going to tell you one. But it's this idea that we want hilarity rather than purity. And God says, no, we're not supposed to do that. Well, if we harbor bitterness or hatred in our hearts, we are in danger of judgment. And First John it talks about if you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. Have you ever said about somebody, I hate you, or I hate him, or I hate her? And God says, if you do that, the love of God is not there. Now, all these things that I have given to you, our response is to be one of humility. And I'm quickly running out of time here. 
These are just the facts. Even though I speak about these in nice tones, it's not my words, it's God's word. And God's word would say these are all commandments that we're supposed to follow. And our views are supposed to line up with God's views. If today you found that, well, I've had about six of those things in that list, and that list could have just kept on going. And the ways of the world do not adopt the ways of the world, adopt the ways of Jesus Christ. If we do that, he will cause us to experience joy even in the midst of tribulation or persecution. This is what God calls us to. The Pharisees were offended. People will be offended. You all will be offended when the gospel is given. And by the way, I don't score 100% on this either. I am just not there. I won't be and you won't be until God redeems us. So what we're going to do at this time, the worship team can come up. We're going to receive communion to remember the fact that God has given us his grace. And he wants us to be saved. But nothing by what we have done do we earn the salvation. Our works are not meritorious. Our works are simply an outflow of the love that we have been shown, the salvation that we have. And so what we're going to do, they're going to lower the lights in the center of the sanctuary here. We're going to sing a song. And if you need to say, Lord, I am sorry. I, I am sinning against you in several of those areas that were just mentioned. I hold the view that the world holds on this. And I do that just so I won't bring an offense to somebody. That's not the reason we're supposed to hold those. We hold these truths quote-unquote, to be self-advent because they're in Scripture. So God wants us to endure the persecution but speak the truth in love. And so if you guys could lower the lights and wait till the song begins to play before we come up and take these. And as you get this, I would ask that you would hold on to both of them uh, so that we can participate in receiving these elements together.